Hello and welcome to Panelism. I'm Taylor Trask. Okay, today we're going to be doing a little mini episode. Um, as you'll notice, Todd is not with me in the studio today. I actually went and saw the movie Doctor Sleep on Friday. It just opened. And this is, I don't know if you've heard me say on previous episodes, this is one of my favorite books and actually one of my favorite Stephen King books of all time. So I was very anxious to see this movie and wanted to say a few things about it. We're going to call this another watching episode, so you should see it pop up as that. But I want to give a quick little review and uh, you know, just maybe encourage you to see it or, or give you some things to think about if you're going in to see it. Um, I Some background... I'm a big Stephen King fan, but I'm not like, I don't roll as deep as some of the Dark Tower folks. Love Dark Tower, but I just, I haven't read in depth all of, of those graphic novels or comics or books um, or supplemental materials yet. So I'm a Stephen King generalist, but there are definitely some stories I really like. And probably top of that list is Dr. Sleep. Uh, came out 2013 and I uh, purchased it on Kindle and immediately fell in love with it and have reread it. Oh, <laughs> six or seven times since. It's probably controversial because a lot of people don't hold this book up uh, to the same level I do. I don't care. I think if you're, if you want sort of that pure Stephen King uh, subverting expectations, this is definitely a, a book for you. And I would encourage everybody before you see the movie or shortly thereafter, please read the book. And I'll get into more of the differences in a second. Um, so I've been waiting for this movie for a long time. They've, they've, it's been in sort of development hell uh, off and on and different people, writers, directors attached to it. And about a year and a half ago, Mike Flanagan was pegged as director and writer. And, um, you know, he is, uh, I think haunting on Hill house and some other things to his credit. Let me just double check that. Yeah. Haunting of Hill house. I was right. Um, to his credit. So he was kind of an ideal ca- candidate to take this book and adapt it for, for, um, for film. And he, uh, in some interviews and even some, some light Twitter exchanges I had with him, um, seemed really interested in doing right by the book. However, he is confronted with this giant elephant in the room, which is the Stanley Kubrick 1980 movie. Um, sadly, more people know that movie than know the original book. And this is annoying both to fans like myself, but also Stephen King, who if you don't know, is is historically opposed to the Stanley Kubrick movie because Stanley Kubrick changed a lot of the fundamentals of the story, especially the character of Jack Torrance. Um, very different interpretation. You know, similar enough, but where the movie, the Kubrick movie ends is not at all where the book ends. And Kubrick took a, a lot more interest in, I think, the aesthetic of the movie than the story itself, which, you know, is it's fair. And a lot of people love that movie. I like it too, but it's not The Shining. It is like a uh, Elseworlds Shining, if you're, if you're going to call it something. So the book has always been pure. And then Stephen King was so disillusioned with the movie. He actually worked with, I think, ABC in 1997 or 8 to do a TV miniseries remake of The Shining that was very loyal to the books. Um, If you remember back, this was the thing that had Steven Weber from Wings uh, play Jack Torrance. And it was like a two or three parter. Um, I should know. I own it on DVD. Uh, And actually, I like it a lot. It's as a miniseries. It was very well done for the time and still holds up fairly well. you got to give Steven Weber some credit for jumping in last minute. He, uh, I don't, this is some interesting trivia. So originally they were going to cast Gary Sinise as the Jack Torrance character in the miniseries, which would have been badass. would have been amazing, right? 
I forget exactly why, but Gary Sinise, he was attached, but then he couldn't do it. And they were really close to production. So uh, they grabbed Steven Weber. He was available. And you know what? That dude really steps up. Um, not as good of actor as Gary Sinise, but he really brings a sort of human, you know, somewhat likable quality to Jack Torrance and takes him on a journey through that story. That's the biggest difference between the Kubrick movie and the miniseries slash book is that Jack Torrance doesn't just start out crazy. Jack Nicholson, you know, from the moment he's on screen, as wonderful as he is, you know something's weird or wrong with Jack Torrance. So Nicholson kind of took it too far. The character is supposed to evolve over the course of the book. And spoilers, not spoilers, at the end, he actually has a moment of heroism and redemption um, to save his family. So if you, if you remember the Kubrick movie and you're like, what is he talking about? Please go read the book or watch the TV miniseries because it is a fundamentally different story at the end. And that's where Dr. Sleep, the book and the movie takes, takes off. It literally months after the events of the Overlook Hotel, Danny and his mom are living in Florida, far away from the snow. And Danny's still having uh, hauntings of the Overlook. And that's kind of where the book begins and the movie begins. Now the movie, I have to admit, I, I went in very sort of cautious. Um, I, I trust Mike Flanagan. Um, you know, I, I liked everything he did and the casting looked amazing, but I was still like, man, I don't know. And for the first two thirds of the movie, I was absolutely in heaven. Um, while it wasn't exactly what I imagined, it was clear Mike Flanagan loved the book as much as I did and was being as loyal to it as possible. So it was really weird when about mm, two thirds of the way in, like I said, it shifts and becomes a deliberate sequel to the Kubrick movie, um, completely changing the end of the book to satisfy fans of the Kubrick movie and trying to, to rectify those different storylines. And that's where it sort of lost me. It still looked great. It was interesting, but it wasn't Dr. Sleep. And if you've read the book, Dr. Sleep, that, that ending, they build up to this amazing crescendo that not only is a perfect sign-off to the original Shining, but um, delivers in just an amazing way that the movie ending we got doesn't quite do. So I would really recommend you go and read the book. Um, the book almost functions in a lot of ways as a director's cut. So as much as the first two thirds is loyal to the book, um, there's a lot more detail and a lot more nuance that the book gets into that I think is really rich. Um, if you're, if you've listened to panelism before, I'm not, usually I'm the guy who's who's like, Oh no, no, the book isn't instantly better than the movie. Sometimes the movie's better than the book. Some great examples, dances with wolves. Um, I think, Dare I say, I think the upcoming Denis Villeneuve Dune adaptation is going to be better than the book, too. So it's possible for the movie to surpass the book. Um, and in this case, I thought we were going to get something that was as good as the book until, until the ending. So keep that in mind if you're a fan of the book or you're not. Know that the movie deviates pretty substantially after about two-thirds through. Outside of that, absolutely worth the ticket price. Even though that last third is different, as a, you know, as an admirer of the Kubrick movie, I did like that he bridged the gap and there I'll try to spoilers, not spoilers. The ending of Dr. Sleep, the movie without getting into detail does basically corrects the Kubrick ending. That's so the ending of the Kubrick movie, because the Kubrick movie ends very differently than the book too. This is almost like a, 
a cake and eat it too scenario for Stephen King where he got to go and consult on Dr. Sleep, the movie and, and allow them to have the ending. The Kubrick movie should have had all along. I won't say anything more than that, but in, in it, it was almost poetic in how well they sort of tied those, those strands together. And so it was always going to be a situation where there's book fans like myself, and then there's Kubrick movie fans, and there's probably more Kubrick movie fans than book fans. And Mike Flanagan, God love him, had to bridge that divide. And this is probably as good as we were going to get under those circumstances. Um, Some highlights for me. Um, as soon as they announced Ewan McGregor as a grown-up Danny Torrance, I was invested because that's a, I never imagined him playing the role when I read the book. Um, whenever I read a great uh, novel, I always cast the, the story as I go, either with real actors or you know, a, a, a you know, nameless person who looks like I kind of want them to look. And Ewan McGregor was never who I imagined, but as soon as I heard his name, I was captivated. So that was cool. For my money, Rebecca Ferguson was one of the top two or three actresses you could have imagined to play Rose the Hat, who is the central antagonist um, throughout the story. When I read the book, um, and maybe if you've read the book too, I'm, I'm curious who out there resonates with this, but I imagined a 90s Matrix era Carrie Ann Moss. And I still do. Like, I can't help but just see her. I, you know, so many of those scenes Carrie Ann Moss could have crushed. She's a little too old now, sadly, for the role. Um, the character is is basically immortal, kind of like an immortal mortal vampire. So her youth and her beauty are are key to the character, and Rebecca Ferguson's exactly that age. I think other than Carrie Ann Moss and Ferguson, I would have also looked at um, Ava Green, who, you know, the greatest eye actress of our time. She could have crushed that too, but Rebecca Ferguson did beautifully. Like, she embodied that character to a T. So I was really, really happy with that. Um, also really happy with, um, the actress who played the teenage, uh, uh, Abra, uh, who is the, other than Danny, probably the other main protagonist. She absolutely crushed it. And I don't remember in the book, and this is my own, my own forgetfulness. I don't recall Abra being African-American or at least biracial. And I really like that twist in the movie. If that was a, a conscious decision for the movie, that worked incredibly well. Um, and just that actress crushed that character. And I'm probably just going to imagine her from now on. Like she's, she has become that character in my mind pretty, pretty intensely. Um, the rest of the cast is amazing. The actress who plays Snake Bite Andy is great. Cliff Curtis uh, played Billy. If you're familiar with the book, uh, Again, not what I expected, but absolutely owned the role. So this was like seeing, um, you know, talking to somebody who also loves the thing that you love, but has their own interpretation of it. And it's just as valid as yours. It's just cool to see the story through another lens that's absolutely loyal to the, the source material as much as it can be and just experiencing that. Um the movie itself has, a, you know, even from the first scene, a lot of Kubrickian symmetry, and and they really tried to honor the aesthetic of the Kubrick movie in a lot of ways, which, when you read the book the first time through, you don't intentionally do that. Um, worked really, really well uh, as, a, as a choice. You know, very happy with it. Um, there's a couple scenes. I don't want to get too spoilery, because if you haven't read the book, oh my God, there's so much to the book. Let me just say this. There's a there's a thing that happens, and this isn't spoilery. It's more of a more of a character angle. Abra is, like I said, sort of the other protagonist outside of Danny. Danny eventually becomes her kind of mentor figure, much like Dick Halloran was to Danny. Danny is now to her. The difference is 
Abra is a hundred times more powerful. She has the shining. I mean, that's in the, that's in the synopsis. So it's not like that's a spoiler. She's a hundred times more powerful than Danny ever was. And she's a little bit more like Jack in her impulsiveness and in her sort of need for vengeance. And just, she has an edge to her. That's very Jack Torrance. And if you read the book, there's an incredibly important plot development, uh, that makes that even more, make more sense that the movie completely skips. And I really wish they hadn't, but the movie's living in a universe where Jack Torrance was a very different thing than the book Jack Torrance. So it had to sort of, it wouldn't have worked out if they had gone down that road. You'd have had to completely ignore the Kubrick movie. Um, the movie also does, but in that regard, we, we get a little bit of a shout out to Shelley Duvall and, um, Jack Nicholson. There are two actors who, um, and this is no spoilers. This is, you know, this is in public reviews and stuff. There are two actors who play, uh, um, Danny's mom and dad in the movie. And they basically do a, a Shelley Duvall, uh, Jack Nicholson impression each. And they do fairly well. I mean, that's a big, that's a tall order to try to impersonate those two without making it a, an SNL caricature. And those actors, I forget their names. I apologize. Um, they do incredibly well uh, for, for what they're given. Uh, overall, I think, you know, I'm very happy that it was made. I still wonder if we can't get a TV miniseries out of this story eventually to better sync up with the book. I think there's enough moments and enough sort of travel and, 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 you know, there's enough story that would make two or three or even four episodes of a miniseries work better if it had more room to breathe. Um, some key scenes from the book that didn't make it to the movie or were abridged in the movie that I think would play even better. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I, I can't wait for that. Eventually I hope we get it. You know, it, uh, really worked in two movies and not trying to cram it into one. So, you know, with Stephen King being hot, I'm curious. I'm I'm curious if they don't eventually get to a miniseries in the next five to ten years. Even though Stephen King had a lot more consultation in this than he ever did the Kubrick movie, um, yeah, I just I'm curious if if anybody ever tries to do that. But if not, this is what we got, and the book is still there to enjoy and imagine, and the book is perfect. Um, so if you like the movie, but you're like, man, I wish I wish I could dig deeper. I wish there was you know something a little different about this. Please read the book. Um, the difference I always tell friends is the shining is more of a, of a horror kind of genre book. Uh, Dr. Sleep is a thriller is a escalating thriller where the first, uh, I would say 30% is very, you know, very setting the stage, very slow, very methodical. And then it clicks into high gear and it does not stop. And there's a point in the movie too, but in the book, especially where you almost start to feel bad for the villains because Abra is much more complex than just, uh, you know, a, a heroine in distress. Um, she's very, she's an interesting, interesting character. And I really got, you could do three more movies of just her, um, based on the, her, her evolution in the book that I think would be amazing. So all that to be said, Dr. Sleep, uh, in theaters now, grab the book, go see the movie and let us know what you think in the comment section on Instagram or shoot us a message. We're panelism.inc on Instagram. You can find all our old episodes too at www.panelism.inc. That's right. Dot I-N-K, not dot com, not dot inc.com, just dot I-N-K. And we'll be back with another episode soon. Todd will be back in the uh, studio with me for a more traditional episode, I'm sure soon. And if you're liking these little mini episodes, let us know and we'll, we'll keep going. Uh, it's been great talking to you. Taylor signing off and, uh, until next time. <laughs> <laughs>